Support for this podcast and the following message come from Wise, the app that makes managing your money in different currencies easy. With Wise, you can send and spend money internationally at the mid-market exchange rate. No guesswork and no hidden fees. Learn more about how Wise could work for you at wise.com. It's State of Ukraine from NPR News. I'm Steve Inskeep with NPR's best reporting on a war that is changing the world. What is striking about the photos from Ukraine today are the parts that are normal. It's an old brick train station, a busy one. People outside were waiting for trains, so they put their luggage on the ground. Their suitcases were black and teal and pink. Some had the handles extended, ready to be rolled when the train came. One family had a stroller. Amid these items, near the tracks, in the sunshine, lay the bodies of people killed by an explosion. Ukrainians say a Russian missile struck the station that people were using to evacuate. As of this afternoon, the death toll was up to 50, including five children. Russia once again denied it had anything to do with this. People at the station were evacuating an area where they fear a new Russian offensive. It's in the eastern part of the country, and it's in a place from which Russian troops are not withdrawing, as they have withdrawn from around Kiev. Jens Stoltenberg, the secretary general of NATO, talked about this with Leila Fadel. What is the Russian military strategy here? So we expect them to launch a major offensive uh, in the Donbass in the south and the east of Ukraine because they totally underestimated the strength of the Ukrainian forces. They underestimated the unity and support Ukraine was going to get from NATO-allied countries. Uh, and therefore, they have uh, changed uh, their uh, their operation from, from trying to attack many places at the same time to now concentrate more in the east. Uh, but we don't believe that President Putin has changed his overall aim, and that is to control Ukraine. And uh, therefore, we need to provide even more support to Ukraine. I'm impressed by the courage uh, and by and by the, the strength of not only the Ukrainian armed forces, but also the Ukrainian people and not least the Ukrainian leadership. Uh, and this high spirit morale has, of course, been absolutely essential for uh, the strength in the resistance we have seen from uh, Ukraine. You've described this moment as urgent. What is so urgent about this moment, about this planned offensive by Russia? It is urgent because uh, the war most likely is moving into a new phase where we will see much bigger uh, formations, much uh, uh, heavier fighting. What we have seen so far is extremely bad. It has caused a lot of uh, casualties, civilian suffering, destruction. Uh, but the scale and the scope uh, of the fight we may see in Donbass will be even much uh, heavier and uh, even more dangerous. So therefore, we need to use this time to reinforce the Ukrainians. And that's exactly what NATO allies are doing, uh, partly by providing advanced weapon systems, but also by just resupplying them with uh, basic things as fuel, ammunition, uh, medical kits, uh, food rations, and all the other things you need uh, to uh, resist the brutal invasion of, uh, of Russia into, uh, into Ukraine. Has Russia's war on Ukraine forever changed its relationship with NATO and the West? Yes, in the way that uh, there's no way we can go back to uh, the, 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 the dialogue, the meaningful dialogue uh, uh, we tried to establish with Russia for many, many years. We uh, need now to continue to talk to Russia, to address issues like uh, deconfliction, to prevent incidents and accidents, uh, and if they happen 
ensure that they don't spiral out of control, and also, of course, talk to Russia on issues like arms control. But, but the kind of dialogue, and even more, uh, what we strive for is to establish a better relationship with Russia, that's, that doesn't have any meaning in the current uh, situation. NATO Secretary General Jan Stoltenberg, thank you for your time. Thank you. Today's attack on a civilian train station adds to evidence that may be of interest to war crimes investigators. So what counts as a war crime? NPR's Julie McCarthy reports. With revulsion deepening at what Russia is doing in Ukraine. President Volodymyr Zelensky rebuked the UN this week. Where is the security in the Security Council, he asked. Members were silent as he invited them to watch this video on the civilian toll of Russia's invasion. The hand of a corpse pokes out from a shallow grave in the winter cold. Burned bodies are piled willy-nilly. An old woman steps past a dead body splayed on the sidewalk. The grisly tableau captures the aftermath of Russian soldiers withdrawing from cities like Bucha. War crime expert Philippe Sand says it appears that in Ukraine, the laws that govern the conduct of warfare have been violated across the board. But he says a fundamental war crime that stands out here is the targeting of civilians. Uh, We're seeing terrible images of ordinary apartment buildings being shelled, of civilians who appear to be bound uh, and shot in the head. Those cross a line. Criminal law experts say murder, rape and torture, all alleged against Russian troops in Ukraine, constitute potential war crimes. So too does interfering with corridors set up for civilians to flee the fighting, something Russians have repeatedly done in the besieged city of Mariupol, where the mayor now says 5,000 civilians have been killed. International law expert Melanie O'Brien says the carnage suggests crimes against humanity, distinguished from war crimes by their scale. Crimes against humanity are crimes that are committed as part of a widespread or systematic attack on a civilian population. Crimes like murder, rape and deportation. A third category of crime is genocide. President Zelensky says Russia is guilty. But O'Brien sees Putin more focused on a territory grab than in the destruction of the Ukrainians as a people. The International Criminal Court, the prosecuting body for crimes related to war, is already collecting evidence. Philippe Sand says, while it's fairly certain that war crimes have occurred, the bigger question is who's responsible and whether ICC prosecutors can pin what's called command responsibility on President Putin. And that's a much more uh, difficult task. And what a prosecutor would have to prove is that Mr. Putin has either uh, issued orders for the targeting of civilians or, in the face of information that civilians are being targeted, doing nothing to stop it. Sands refrains from calling Putin a war criminal. But I would add simply that it doesn't look good for Mr. Putin because it seems hard to imagine there is not knowledge at the top about what is going on. But Sands says drawing the nexus between war crimes and heads of state 
is painstaking. Liberian President Charles Taylor's conviction took over a decade. The case against Serbia's Slobodan Milosevic was just as arduous. But Mark Ellis, president of the International Bar Association, says in this most documented war in history, he's confident there will be a reckoning. International law plays the long game. And in the short term, it may be viewed as overwhelmingly challenging. But we've seen time and time again that international justice eventually does work. Court watchers, however, caution patience holding Putin to account. Having pulled Russia out of the ICC in 2016, Putin is not expected to answer any possible international arrest warrants. If Putin stays in power, of course, he's never going to put himself on trial for the crimes he has committed. Melanie O'Brien believes that only a change of regime in Moscow can compel Putin to appear before the court. Julie McCarthy, NPR News. And this is State of Ukraine. Think of it as a breaking news live blog for your ear. Taylor Haney produced this episode and Kelly Dickens edited. I'm Steve Inskeep. This message comes from NPR sponsor Stearns & Foster. Every Stearns & Foster mattress is handcrafted for irresistible comfort with indulgent memory foam and ultra-conforming IntelliCoils for your most comfortable sleep. Learn more at StearnsAndFoster.com. This message comes from NPR sponsor Betterment. The emotional build of a will-they-won't-they-love story is never chill, but your investing portfolio should be. Betterment is the investing app that lets you be totally chill about your finances. Their automated technology and tax-smart tools are easy to set up, so you can focus on navigating any will-they-won't-they-love stories that come your way. Betterment. Be invested and totally chill. Learn more at Betterment.com. Investing involves risk. Performance is not guaranteed. Hey, I hear you have a birthday coming up. Yeah, you. If you're listening to this, that means you have a birthday coming up eventually. And here at LifeKit, we want it to be a special one. Magic can happen and good luck can happen and serendipity can happen if we're open to it. How to have a good birthday, even if you're not a birthday person. That's on the LifeKit podcast from NPR.